Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today has managed several large scale teams on various high profile AAA titles such as Doom 2016, Rage 2, Epic Mickey, oh, yeah. Quantum of Solace, Forza Motorsport. I could go on but we'll be here forever. I'd like to welcome Garrett Young. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yes, be here forever. You can see it in the gray hair. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I've been, been around a little bit. Before uh, my first part of my career was at Microsoft. About half my career was spent there, 12 years. And um, I joined there before there was such a thing as an Xbox, right? We were working for four or five years on PC games that no one remembers those games. But uh, yeah, I've been around a while. Nice to, nice to finally meet you in person. Yeah, been it's been, to, it's been, been a long time We've been trying to hook up coming. for like over a year. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. Cool. a long time ago I reached out to you, but obviously you're a busy man. And you've got the awesome poster in the background. I exactly, love it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we're in sync here. Exactly. <laughs> So I wanted to ask about Doom, uh, first off, just a small, small game you worked on, right? Yeah. Uh, when did you actually come on to that project? So because I started it went through a lot it, of transitions. Yeah, in, in 2013. So we had, um, we could go into a lot of stories about it and love that chapter of my life and uh, as being a part of helping reboot the studio and, and reboot the franchise, right? Mm. They had done... Um, two versions there was some stuff you could probably still find it online yeah. where there had um they had rebooted the first version of doom the remake of doom it was internally called doom 4 but you know marketing wise we, we ended up calling it just doom in 2016 um they had done one version it um internally inside the studio they had decided well this isn't kind of the direction we want to go and so they rebooted it and created another version. That was about a year and a half, maybe, in development. Kevin Cloud led led that up. If you remember, or if you know of Kevin, stud, long time. Pretty sure he's still there. I left it in 2018, uh, but but got to work with him and, and a lot of studs uh, um, through that process working at it. Um, but uh, um, he led the first one, and they they just they had, as a studio had decided to go a different direction with the second one. They they spent about mm, a year on it. They brought it up because they're owned. We're owned, right? We were owned by a company called Zenimax. Um, they bought it a couple of years before I joined or maybe three or four years before I joined. The guys owned Bethesda, Bethesda Games, Bethesda Game Studio, a bunch of other studios in the in the portfolio there. Anyway, so they had done a second version and then that also had not been well received. I think a little bit internally, but also by Zenimax. And so there was a reboot in early... Um, that was the end of 2012. And so the early, early 2013, they said, okay, well, what are we going to do? Let's pull together. Let's, let's shift the direction of this. And and I love this uh, kind of, as I was joining and as I was meeting with the team and, and, uh, and interviewing with them to, to join, they had talked about where, where we really wanted to get back to is what, what do doom fans want from doom to really understand the IP that might sound really simple, but if I ask you, Reese, or I ask my friend Dan, or I ask my my other friend Shannon, or ask all these people, because like it's been around forever, and everybody yeah. has certainly everybody we ever interviewed in the in the uh, uh, coming in as candidates to the to the studio, everybody had a Doom story, or a, a, a Doom story, right? A, a, like that's why they're in the industry, or that's the first game that they played, or their or their you know their brother or sister were playing it, and you know or their parent, whatever, right? Everybody had a story and, and something that was personal to them about. It. So it was kind of like, whoa, whoa. We need to appeal to all those fans. So what do we, what Doom fans want in Doom? And just like simple, really key bullet points. And then also, well, by the way, we can't make a game for 1995, right? It's there's been there's been a bunch of like Goldeneye and Halo and Call of Duty, and so we got to be aware that we're building it for 2016. Yeah. And uh, actually, technically, at that time, we were building it for 2015. <laughs> we ended up coming out a little bit later than we planned. We didn't want to compete and come out at the same exact time as Fallout 4, another you know major IP from the company. Yeah, but uh, um, but anyway, so that was I, I guess we were on the third and as I learned later, the third and final chance, <laughs> a third and final shot um, uh, to 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 get it right with Doom. And that was actually part of the reason. Um, so my role as general manager hadn't existed before. Uh, John Carmack, who of course everybody knows, I've never met John. He actually left uh, before I joined, but. Um, uh, he was kind of the de facto GM, but he's, you know, big brain technology guy. He didn't want to do any of the man people management or budget management or kind of process management or any of, that, any of that kind of stuff. He wanted to really focus on the engine and, and did an amazing job with that. Right. So it was my understanding that Zenimax worked with the leadership at id to create this role, to bring someone in who had shipped big games, had, had understand, understood kind of how different publishers worked and spoke the language of publishers, it's marketing and sales and finance and legal and all that kind of stuff. 
and bring someone in to focus on people and process and priorities. And so that was my role. And that's what I did when I joined there. And we, we, um, there were some things on online a little bit, you know, um, as I kind of said earlier, you can kind of probably find some of the stuff still, some stuff got leaked out, not, not officially, but got leaked out that we, we'd lost some people also. So I think maybe one of the people that we lost, uh, it maybe leaked something that people were calling it call of doom. If you ever yes, have heard that. I, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Um, some of the, it was some originally of the based on, there. it was originally based on earth, the original, and it had like a call of duty esque, nature to it i saw some of the video footage yeah 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 so that stuff got leaked online it was based on earth doom previously has been on earth right i don't remember if it was in doom one or doom two but there were some maps i know in doom two that were kind of like earth-based maps as as far as you could push the visuals back there right but it was <laughs> earth-based maps but it was also but the tone was very different right it was there were demons in those uh in those videos i haven't looked at them in years but there were demons but it was a lot of military there was, I think there was even tanks. It was all human-based uh, mm. kind of characters that were shown. Who knows the, the direction that that game would have gone? I, I didn't, I just you know, saw the stuff later on. Um, but it, I think the tone was very, I mean, for people online that called it, stereotypically Call of Doom probably was a fair um, outsider's view of that. But then that, that version got rebooted and we, we got back to what we felt the core of Doom was. Mm. So did you actually get to uh, put out a lot of ideas or were you more facilitating the team and trying to ensure uh, so, that yeah, everything so my role, worked yeah, well? Yeah, so, I, so um, I was in a great, uh, I, I loved my role with that team. We had an executive producer, call it game director, if you will, uh, directing in, in, in Marty Stratton. I did a great job directing that and Hugo was also a great voice. Um, very creative guy, um, but also uh, really helped kind of push the narrative forward. Um, there's whole lots of stories, and Hugo has, I, I think, shared a bunch of these. But there's a lot of scar tissue that a lot of people have about about how long it kind of took us to, to get done with um, with our story stuff. But that's okay; it's not a deep story game, right? We want to get the core gameplay right first. So I I'm not driving design, but I absolutely I'm, I play the build every day when it was stable, right? And it was always like, hey, this feels really good. This does feel good. We had multiplayer play tests. I was in those multiplayer play tests every day, right? So really, uh, I really enjoyed that. And I'll tell you a couple of couple of kind of behind the scenes, if you want to hear like some behind yeah, the scenes yeah. stories. Of course. Um, one of the things I really love that were, that were um, uh, valuable, valuable to me, but also um, uh, some things that we did right. We did a lot of things wrong. These all, These things always happen, right? But we did a lot of things right. One of the things that was really great, literally my first week, I started on a Monday and it was either that night or it was the next day, something that week where I got to play the build. I got to play a little bit in the, um, when I interviewed, but it was very, very, very quick. Actually, it was a very E1M1 inspired map, which was super cool. We didn't end up shipping it in the game, but uh, but it was, a, it was a cool map. But it was just a very kind of simple experience. You know, you're 10 minutes uh, playing the build in the middle of an interview. But when I started, we did a a, a play test. It was, it was not multiplayer though. We, I think we did have multiplayer running, but it was just, Gray box environment. If you know what a gray box, I don't know if you yeah. know what that means. But basically, it's yeah. not hard yeah. hard up, right? It's got some columns to represent, or you know, basic gray box walls, columns to rec represent something that you can kind of run around or kind of break line of sight with enemies. We had, um, we'll call him the shield guy, but it was just very a kind of a pusher type of character. He didn't have a shield yet. Thank goodness, the shield guy was the biggest pain in the ass of that game, <laughs> right? <clears throat> not not a lot of XP or not a lot of HP, I guess, but uh, um, but you just couldn't hit him, right? His yeah. shield was so powerful. But anyway, but he was a pusher, a shotgun guy. If he got any, he didn't move fast, but if he got close to you, you're done, right? Yeah. And we had an imp, right? Early model imp, and that model was very similar to the imp that was in Rage One. And moved around like the AI moved around like like the AI in Rage One. Like we didn't build this from scratch, right? This had been iterated on in the kind of the Doom One, if you will, or the Doom, I don't know what I would call it, Doom Doom Twenty Eleven, and then iterated on in the Doom Twenty Twelve. And so I'm there in Twenty Thirteen, but I get to finally like sit down and play the build. A couple couple guys around me were we're all chatting about, but running it, I think all we had was shotgun. We might have had a plasma, can't remember, but really basic early or simple VFX. But you got you know audio audible feedback. And running around in this basic space felt good. 
And it may seem like, well, no, duh, this is how all game development is. No, it's not true, right? There's a lot of games that you can, you'll start development on it and you'll have pressure from date and you'll have, and you'll have a lot of people on the team. So you have to get them busy. You'll start up on art, you'll start up on audio, you'll start up on animation, you start up on all this work and the game doesn't feel good yet. And I've been on teams like that and I've various other stories we could talk about there. But even there with you moving around the space, you as the player, and it was pretty damn close to 60, if not 60, right? Which is so critical in a game like Doom. Because there wasn't a lot of art, wasn't a lot of wasn't a lot of transparencies, wasn't a lot of characters on screen. But it was you with your gun, or just you is your gun, right? Um, with with a couple of a couple of these soldiers slowly kind of coming into the space, and a couple of imps, and they're and they're running in and they're throwing a fireball. We had this thing called push forward combat, which we can talk about later. But that was a that was a key to what the core second to second Doom experience was and is, as I'm sure you've played the game many times. Yeah, um, these imps would run in, throw a fireball, jump up on the wall, right? So now you're your reticle, I mean, this is the, ch- you know, second to second gameplay, you were thinking about things like, I can move my reticle easily left to right. Now I'm moving it up. This is a, this, this, this is a challenge, right? You think moving a reticle up is easy. If you've got a lot of enemies on screen or even multiples that are very dangerous, if you're having it like, do, 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 yeah, I can take these guys out. Not only this, I can strafe. I can move my character left and right. And then I'm taking out certain enemies. You do this in any, any game right now. And I'm, I'm thinking from a thumbstick standpoint. Well, now you've got, oh crap, I've got an imp on a wall. Now I'm strafing, I'm taking out a bunch of these guys. Now I have to go up to take out this guy. And now I got to come back down, right? So it seems like super simplistic, but it is a thing that increases the challenge, right? But it already felt good moving around the space, moving, avoiding this the soldier guy, right? Because if you got close to the shotgun, you're done. Avoiding the imp. And not only that, but remember, I, I said we had two enemies. Technically, we had three because once the imp threw the fireball, now you've got this projectile coming at you. Super basic stuff, but these are all things that have a massive impact on the second second feet, you know, second second gameplay. And so now you got to avoid that. When we when and so I was like, holy shit, we have something, right? Yeah. And everybody there was like, well, you know, gosh, we're working on it, and and they're you know they're all very nice. It was new. We're all kind of meeting each other, and they're like, oh, Garrett, hope you like it, right? And I was like, dude, this is this is fun already. Like mm. we got so much work to do, and there's. You know, there's headcount we needed to get approved, a headcount we needed to fill. Like there's so many process challenges, people challenges, and, and of course development challenges. But we already had the nut of something that you could play three years later and people loved. And and we got such great great review feedback on it. So that was that was really cool. That's cool. That was, that was a really cool early days feedback. And I'll tell you, you want to hear another story? Or you want to ask a different question? Oh, no, no. You can, you can keep going. Move on. If you want to talk about Doom, you oh, got no, the poster no. up. You got two. <laughs> actually, they almost a Metroid Prime poster. Yeah. But, um, the other one, back to the second second gameplay, I mentioned push forward combat. It was so integral to what we wanted to do. We weren't, and that's a tempo, that's a pacing thing. We didn't want people, even though we're coming out in 2016, and a lot of players have played Call of Duty and Halo and, and you know, Battlefront and all these other, you know, mega franchises, mega shooters. Um, a lot of what you do in Call of Duty, you run forward. It, let's just talk about single player. Most players are a whole different kettle of fish, and, and uh, um, we actually hired a, a separate team to do that, and they worked really, really well with us. Certain affinity down, down in um, down in Austin. They're great, great people, uh, but but it was it was a little bit kind of in parallel, different, different, uh, different branch of work. But for a single player and really dialing in the Doom experience, we wanted to deliver on this push forward combat. We talked about it once we actually went public. We talked about push forward combat. Combat people were like, "What does that mean? Oh, I don't know. Whatever, right?" And they just kind of whatever. I'll put my hands up, right? Cody, you kind of run out, or even Halo, whatever. You run out, pew, 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 pew. You get some headshots, you take some damage, you run back. I can, even in my head right now, I'm not going to make the sound effect, but even in my head, I can hear my Halo shield. I'm always making the sound effect. <laughs> right? Your, your shield comes back, right? But that's very much a pacing moment. You go back, you get into cover. Maybe they're trying to grenade you, get, you know, AOE and get you out of your cover. But you come out and then you're like, okay, my shields are full now. Or, or you know, Call of Duty, my health is now back to full. Regen. You don't do that in Doom. You don't regen health in Doom, right? You didn't yeah. in 1990, you know, one, 1993, 1994, five, and you didn't in 2016, and you don't in Doom Eternal, right? That was a, that was a specific decision, and it's a little arcadey. You have to shoot, you know, blast an imp or blast but it a, works. whatever fill in the blank, blast a hell knight, whatever it is, and you, and they poop out health or they poop out armor or you do a glory kill, whatever. Um, it's a little arcadey, but it absolutely does work, and it reinforces. It's the it's the it's the tactile um, expression of what we talk about, which is push forward combat. And mm-hmm. I remember this is much later in development. You know, the first one with the gray box. Okay, later in development, we've got a few more maps. The first year, I swear to God, we had two maps. 
two maps running. And then we're doing all this work, concept art, different environment art biomes and blah, 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 right? All this work we're doing. And um, you ever, oh, you're in Australia. Have you, you you know of QuakeCon. Have you ever been? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know oh. exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so super cool. Everybody, it's, QuakeCon is such an awesome, awe-inspiring event. And there's so many like long, long, this has been like 25 years or something. It's been going there in the Dallas area. But anyway, so um, 2014, we showed off a bunch of stuff and QuakeCon was the first place that we showed stuff. And it was the two maps that we had and that was mm. all we had, right? In any videos, it was always either like the lava map. There's one, um, I think we call it Foundry was the name of the map. It might've shipped with a different name, but internally we call it Foundry. Anyway, so like every video or every screenshot we have was just this one map. And then and then there was another map that was a little bit more like tunnel, tunnel based. And um, it was like, that's all we had for like a year and a half to show off assets. But anyway, so once we once we started, we had more maps built. We had a lot of content, character models, all the weapons, um, everything built. And so all these things are coming together. And it was the first time, the first date. And I want to say this was maybe six months before we shipped or something, or maybe nine months. It was it was somewhat late, but difficulty levels, right? You know, mm. it's it's um it's the basic whatever, and it's the hurt me plenty and whatever. So so we put in the difficulty levels. We we we, we the coders um uh, create at least created a setting so then you could actually choose your difficulty. And of course, we plugged in the UI to it, and so we could actually as we're play testing the build, we could do it. And the testers gave us the first settings. The testers you know, obviously who spend the most time with it. We probably had fifty testers on the game at this point. Wow. They're like, okay, we feel like this is good. And what is the, you know, if this, if hurt me planner or whatever the, the, you know, nightmare, whatever it is, we think nightmare is this, you know, and, and it's very deep feedback. It's like, okay, this, this uh, getting hit by this uh, uh, fireball or this attack from this uh, um, demon or this, whatever it is, right. Shotgun blast, whatever it is. We think it should do this points in damage to, to, to the doom marine. Right. And then whatever the points are, it doesn't matter if you got how much shield you have or how much health, those points are just burned down, right? And then at this difficulty level, it's this. It's this difficulty level, it's less. And at the easiest difficulty level, it's like, you know, blink and you missed it, right? You, you barely feel the shock. Same sound effects, same VFX, right? Fireball's coming in, right? But at the lowest difficulty level, boom, big explosions, your health, you know, moves two pixels, right? And so the first build that we had this in, I'm running around Foundry. I know everything. I know how to use every gun. I know how to use every movement, you know, ability. I'm, this is not new, right? I've been playing this game for two years at this point. I know exactly where the enemies are going to spawn. I know which enemies are going to spawn. Like it's very, we're very, very close. And it's not just me. Everybody's playing testing. And I get to a certain point in front of you, there's this little battle map. You know, what did you turn the corner? You hit the switch, you get the key, turn this corner. And it's a little area. It's a kind of a, kind of a tight area but we throw seven or eight or nine or 10 enemies at you at all across the spectrum and, and guys hanging on walls, like we talked about a set ago. And then guys that push you and, and there is a shield guy there. And I think this might be the first place you see a hell knight or, or, or the first place you see a hell knight, but with other enemies. And, and it's nine o'clock at night, right? We've already eaten dinner. Um, I'm there play test this difficulty level, uh, higher difficulty. I'm just getting smoked. I'm getting destroyed. I'm like, damn it. This usually doesn't take me like three, you know, restarts on this checkpoint. So now it's 10, now it's 11. I'm like, okay, two hours on the same freaking checkpoint. What the hell? <laughs> and I literally, and you're getting frustrated, right? And it's like, yeah. not tired and all this, right? And so, and so I'm like, I got to get past this checkpoint. This is embarrassing, right? Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, I can't tell the testers. I couldn't get past the checkpoint, right? It's too difficult, too hard for me. I don't want to say that, right? So I'm like, okay, what the hell? How do I do this different? And I'm doing everything. I'm doing in. I'm getting this guy. I've got the whole thing in my head. This guy, this guy. I know this guy's going to come around. This guy throws a fireball. I better move. Because if that fireball touches me, I'm done, right? At this high difficulty level. I've got the dance down. And then I've changed up the dance. Whole freaking thing. And so then what I... um. I just, you know, again, you put the controller down, you go get some more caffeine. You're like, hell am I going to do? And I'm like, I literally, I don't know if we can say fuck this on this podcast, yeah, but I just, yeah. literally said, F, I just literally said, F this. I am going to take the fight to the damn demons. And it sounds weird, right? You're like, oh, that's what Doom is. But at the time I found I was going in, I had this dance, do, 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 do. I get hit somewhere. I, I, you know, get damaged. I pick up as much health as I could and I'd run back. I've already picked up all the health packs, right? This is the highest difficulty. There's barely any health packs around. So I would run back and then I would kite them. We call it kiting them, meaning like I run in a tunnel. And so one, you know, one imp would come out. Okay, hot shot, pot shot, pot shot, done. He's done. Okay, then one soldier guy would come. Oh, he's the shield guy. Okay, pot shot, pot shot. I got to move a little bit, right? I had this whole strategy, but I'm trying to kite them along and bring them back. It's like flying a kite, right? You're in the, you know, little kid on the beach and a kite is flying, you're following you. That's what we would call it, right? Bringing them back down a tunnel. You do this all the time in Call of Duty or Halo or these other shooters, right? Yeah. 
but I couldn't get it. I, I was like, oh, man, now I got, you know, 20 points health and I, I couldn't get through the checkpoint. So I just said, screw it. I am going to attack. And I just brazenly attacked and run in. And I did the normal dance I was doing, but I just, I, I got low in health and I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to keep going. And I keep going, boom, glory kill this guy. I don't know how much, like the last time you played Doom, but part of the glory killing someone or getting someone into a glory kill state, any of the demons in a glory kill state, brrr, you burn them down. They're in a state for, and this was another part of the difficulty level too, the shorter glory kill the shorter, state. Yeah. Then, uh, then when you know it's on the easy level, but if he's in a glory, you know, one of your enemies is in a glory kill state for a second and a half. Sometimes I would like, boom, attack that guy, do the quick glory kill and then move on to the next thing. Sometimes I'd be like, thank goodness he's in a glory kill state. I'm going to take these three guys out because I have a second and a half where he's not going to throw a fireball in my ear right now. Right. And so boom, get him a new stun state to this other guy. I was freaking, actually, this is one of the phrases we use, Bruce Lee in a Ferrari in a car park. Like, I'm just flying around, running around. And all of a sudden, I'm like standing there, and everything is on the ground. I mean, it's like John Wick style. I'm just like, I just had two and a half hours in this checkpoint playing it like Call of Duty. And it's the first time, because the difficulty levels was, you know, new to the build. First time I played this, like, Doom. Holy shit, that felt good. Like, and they're just sweating, right? It's like almost like PUBG sweating, right? I'm just like, that was so awesome. And of course, they sent a bunch of Slack messages and emails to people like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. But anyway, so that, there's another kind of behind the scenes story of when I when I kind of got the vibe of like, ooh, I think we're on to something. I think we, yeah, we good. that's different than everything else. That, that, that feeds the beast of what we were trying to do, right? Deliver an experience that we think Doom fans would love. We know they're all 100 years old now because that game was so <laughs> been out there so a long time, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But um, but you know that that core fan, which a lot of QuakeCon fans are also. That was our first kind of core audience. I loved Doom and wanted us to do amazing things with it. But delivered what they wanted, but also delivered something different than uh, you know that would appeal to an audience that has a different experience in a Call of Duty or a Halo or or you know Battlefield or something else yeah do you remember how i'm telling you at least you get me started I, I'm oh, no, hey, 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 this is great this is great <laughs> um do you remember how the platforming how you tackled that because that doesn't really get talked about much particularly in first person shooters because platforming is quite hard yeah we do. didn't have we didn't have a lot in doom um and what we had at times wasn't super well received um not that we did it poorly and i think there's there's more of it in doom eternal um yeah definitely so it um we 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 put that in because um, we needed some sort of variety. We weren't putting vehicles in the game where you could drive, like a Halo has the awesome, you know, yeah, yeah. Get all the names of the different vehicles there, but but that's a cool, super cool thing that's in Halo, right? We knew we weren't going to go that far and do that. So we, but we knew we needed something that just wasn't like point and click, you know, just run in, shoot a bunch of demons, and then keep moving. Even though that's the stereotype that Doom is. So we wanted to have some things that rewarded exploration. And we also added to, and this actually helped with combat too, um, added to the movement set. So like, for instance, it's not just a case of you get, you get um, guns later on and you get bigger demons later on, but you actually get a more deeper abilities later on. And it wasn't deep. I'm not talking, we're talk, not talking about some super crazy RPG here, but like we had, you, I think you get like double jump um, later, yeah. like map three or something. Um, in Doom 2016, and and it helps you in combat, right? It helps you escape combat faster. It helps you be aggressive to get into someone if you've got them in a glory kill state, right? Double jump or boost, right? These kind of movement mechanics that help you and that are really cool in combat. But then also we kind of built some areas of the maps, and not all the maps and not all areas, but some areas of the map to take advantage of that. I thought it worked well in first person. I, it, it became natural. But also, I know that we get so close to it. This is true for every single game developer. You get so close to your game and you know how to play it so well that um, you worry about how... We did a lot of playtesting, which is good, and it's the key to building a 9-rated game. There's so many 90-rated games that have come out this year, for instance. You've got to get feedback from real players, right? Because you get so close to it that you don't know what people are going to struggle with. So I think we dialed it back. I think I feel like we got it to a level that wasn't over the top as far as it didn't become Uncharted or something that's purely a navigation game but it ended up feeling good at least that's how i felt because i i often wonder if there was any influence from metroid prime on it because obviously that's one of the few games where platforming is very central and platforming is very hard to do in first person so i've yep. always wondered if there was any influence from that or did you look at any other games to try and get inspiration on how to tackle first person platforming 
We absolutely looked at other games. Um, our, we had a bunch of seasoned developers on the team. Um, I don't remember Metro Point specifically being called out, but I'm not in all the design meetings. That, yeah, as the yeah guy of course. Building the maps and, and working through the systems. Um, we were we were influenced by a lot of other shooters and even other games. You know, when I think about Metroid Prime, and I think I've only played through like one of them, I can't remember if it was four or something like this, um, but uh, iconic franchise, right? Um, the one thing we did, and it was very light touch, very, very small uh, in, in 2016, and I can't remember if it was in Eternal or this this concept was in Eternal or not, but, um, but it was one spot in um, 2016 where... I think Metroid was one of the, a similar game, and actually Batman did this too. If you remember the Batman games, the first Arkham Asylum or Arkham Knight or Arkham City, whatever the first one was called, um, where you wouldn't have all the abilities, but you'd be in a map and you'd look up. I remember this in Batman, and like, there's a freaking Riddler trophy up there. I'm a freaking completionist as a gamer. How the hell do I get up there? Yeah. And I remember bashing my head on a wall like 30 minutes trying to get up there. And I'm like, what the hell? And all of a sudden, you know, two days later, I come back. And I'm like, oh, I got the battering. Oh shit! I walk over to spot. I throw my damn battering up there, knocks the Riddler trophy up. I get it, right? Yeah. There was one thing, and it was like the second level, uh, second or third map, but it was before you got double jump. And there was one of the you remember the little models, the little Doom guys. I yep. gotta, I gotta, I gotta buy one of those. I know we built some physically. I gotta get some of those. Those damn things were so cool. Uh, but anyway, so there was one that you could not get to, as you if you I may, can't remember. It was either one of those or it was one of the, I don't know, it was, it was something where like a completionist could not finish the game, uh, like trophy wise, you know, get all the trophies, achievements, unless you'd gone through the, you'd finished everything and then you'd gone up and you'd gone like a load map and then gone back to either map, the second map or the third map and then and got to a certain spot and finally used your double jump because the first time you went to that map, you didn't have double jump, so you couldn't actually get up there. Um I remember something like that. That that's one of the inspirations from a Metro Prime or a, or a Batman Arkham Asylum. But I'm I'm sure the guys as as they worked through navigation controls in first person shooter, we took inspiration from many different sources. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you've worked on so many prestigious games and so many different genres. Um, how are you able to pivot accordingly? Right. I mean, Forza is very different to Doom, for example. Right. Yeah, if we go, if we <laughs> slightly, <laughs> slightly different. Um, I think, um, yeah, so I started out in sports games, actually. Uh, basketball games, baseball games, um, yeah. small ones that you've never heard of, but licensed games that Microsoft and uh, we wanted on the platform, PC at the time. Um, and then and then pivoted over to racing games because there was a need. Uh, it was actually the beginning, uh, it was about a year out. Oh, actually, I worked on a soccer game too, and I know nothing about soccer. We didn't end up sh shipping that game, uh, unfortunately, because of, uh, not related to the team. The team was doing a great job, but um, some business-related things. Um, this might be confidential, but I'll share it with you anyway because it's been so many years. There's like a there's like a time limit on these things. No one was murdered, so it's it's a it's, it's a well, good that's, thing. That's good. <laughs> um, original Xbox. Um, if you remember back in the day, I don't know if you were a gamer back then or even if you were alive. It was a long long time ago. Um, we uh, so I was there, like I said, doing uh, uh, three or four years before. I started in 95 there and we did the X launched the Xbox in 2001. So we were talking about the Xbox, at least it got to my level, a high level of executive decision, Ed Freeze and the Bill Gates and these guys were deciding and Robbie Bach um, were like uh, probably early 2000. And then we started getting looped in, in like late or maybe summer or fall 2000. So it was a year before, before launch, probably summer 2000. So a year and a half before before the box was done, right? Insane timeline to actually you know build a console, and so I was on the game side, right? Build the games for the for the console, right? Anyway, so I was working on a soccer game at the time. Uh, the guy running the studio now runs the studio for Playground Games. Is that what they're called? Playground Games, Playground something, or Playground. They they are actually now owned by Microsoft, and they do Forza Horizon, Small World, coming full mm. circle. Super good guy, really good guy. Um, and, and their team was great too. Anyway, uh, I digress. So I was working a soccer game and, uh, and, uh, with him as the studio head and, uh, there, and, and we're, we're, we're working on it. It was, it was, uh, um, it was actually, a we were going to do the, the console version of the, um, of the PC soccer game that we just shipped the year before. And we we're going to make all these consoles friendly, um, uh, controls and everything else we're doing. And Robbie Bach came in one day, uh, who was the, he was ended up being kind of one of the four presidents of Microsoft or whatever. Good guy. But he's like, Hey guys we need ea to support the xbox 
EA had not supported the Sega Dreamcast. You know Sega. Do you remember the Dreamcast? Yeah, yeah, I remember the Dreamcast. Yeah, Dreamcast died. Yes. Some might say because the controller was really clunky. Fair. It actually worked okay for racing games. Um, but others would say because they didn't have FIFA, they didn't have Madden. FIFA for international reasons, Madden for US reasons. Uh, they didn't have any of the EA games because EA said, Sega, we're going to support your platform. No problem. You just got to give us this money. You got to not charge us for the, the, you know, the, the, the sets, the cartridges, the discs, whatever. All these things that EA demanded. They said, if you want us on your platform, your platform is going to die if we're not on it. Right. That's what EA said. Right. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in the meeting, but this is what I, I was told. And Sega said, whatever. No, we're going to do it. We got these games. We compete with you in these other areas. We're going to be fine without you. We've been fine without you before, or, you know, whatever. Sega's awesome. Woo. And I agree. Sega's awesome. Unfortunately, uh, uh, it didn't turn out the way that they had hoped. And um, they ended up killing the Dreamcast a few years later. EA was not on it. Microsoft is, and, and any smart executive is going to say, hmm, let's not <laughs> kill our console before it even comes out. I mean, yeah. the Dreamcast was canceled like four months before the Xbox came out, right? We'd already been done a bunch of PR. We did not want to follow the death of the Dreamcast, right? Here we are yeah. launching a brand new console six months after, three months, whatever it is, after Sega announced the, the end of theirs. So um, uh, out, of, out of his infinite wisdom and the executives, all the execs, infinite wisdom, they said, let's do a deal with EA. And one of EA's requirements was, uh, um, there, there's many requirements, I'm sure I wasn't involved in any of it, but uh, one of the big ones was no soccer game from Microsoft, no first party soccer game. Ah, oh, so that got canceled. Um, but that gave me the opportunity to work on racing games. Um, I'll, I'll give you a long, another long-winded answer to your question. So I had to learn everything I, kind of I could about racing games. And I worked with a team called Bizarre Creations, which is an awesome team. Uh, so much for working at Microsoft, you learn how to um, make productivity software. Bizarre Creations were really the guys that taught me how to build games, which is different than building productivity software. Um, they were great. A lot of those, that studio's not around anymore. got bought by um, Activision. Um, and then unfortunately, a couple of years later, they, they got closed by Activision, but a bunch of those guys have, uh, formed a new studio called Lucid. Hey, Lucid. Hey. Yay. Um, they've been around for like 10 years now and they actually just got bought by Tencent. I don't know in the last year or six months or something. That's all public information. Anyway, great bunch of guys, Brian Woodhouse, uh, Peter Wallace, great bunch of people. But anyway, so yeah, I, I made racing games for, um, PGR. You remember Project Gotham Racing? Yes. Yes. That was, that was with Bizarre. Um, Another story that we will not have time to go into is I actually, um, one of the games I worked on actually was based in Australia, not based in Australia, but the developer was in Australia. I used to come down and visit your neck of the woods uh, before, before, uh, before uh, console. It was a basketball game, actually an NBA basketball game, which seemed odd that we were working with a developer in Australia to make an NBA basketball game, but whatever, it is what it is. Um, anyway, so yeah, Bizarre Creations taught me a lot about racing games, about what was most important. Um, I would not have been able to do what I did leading the Forza Motorsport team we built that thing from scratch, right? We had no code, no content. Doom was a very different thing. It was a reboot. So we actually had an engine. We had a had a bunch of assets. We had a vision and we had to pivot. We had a whole team in place. We had to pivot. Forza, that was that was Ed Freeze and Shannon Loftus and people coming to me going, hey, Garrett, we like what you did with PGR, with Bazaar. What do you think about building up an internal team to compete with Gran Turismo? Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Let me get to it. We'll, we'll be done tomorrow. Like, Oh, my gosh. Super exciting. Like, like best opportunity in the world that you can imagine. But anyway, that was kind of my pivot in a racing and we can talk about the pivot in a shooting if you want to. But yeah, but I did want to ask in regards to the city uh, tracks that you had, like, cause you had Tokyo, you had Rio, I think you had New York as well. And back in those um, days, you didn't have access to Google or anything. So you couldn't reference any of that stuff, right? Would someone actually have to physically go out there and film parts of the city so you could utilize it yes. into those tracks that's how you had to do it in the old school days exactly how we did it yeah so um they had done a game called metropolis street racer uh, oddly enough on the sega dreamcast they had a great relationship with sega um and uh they had uh i think at the time they shipped that game with new york i want to say it's new york san francisco and tokyo maybe or the three the three cities M maybe london was in there no no it was london san francisco and tokyo and we put um, New York into our game uh, uh, that launch was, was a big part of it. It was the second behind Halo was the second best seller at Xbox launch. There's lots of stories about working on hardware. That's not done. <laughs> that's not, fun, <laughs> not fun at all, but, but a huge challenge. And one of those like, okay, let's do it. 
Um, I had to move to Liverpool for for a, a, an amount wow. of time there. Um, but great guys. And again, I learned a crap ton of, from them about, about what's important in racing games. And then when I was doing Forza and building up, helping build up that team and lead that franchise after about a year working on internal development, cause I'd, I'd been in publishing before and we're always worked with, whether it was guys in Australia or guys in Liverpool or guys in um, Mercer Island in Seattle, um, you, you're responsible for a lot of stuff from the kind of a management standpoint, but also working with marketing and working with the execs and like the GTM, the go to market plan. Right. Um, but when I had my own internal team, it was, you know, hundred percent focused on, I, I, I really learned how the value of individuals, as opposed to the value of a team, like everything was just a team before. And if somebody would say, Hey, we're not going to get this thing done because someone's grandma just passed away and they're going to be gone out of the office for three days. When I was on the publishing side, this is, this is maybe a bad thing to admit, but I was kind of like, okay, whatever. Don't tell me about the labor pains. Just show me the damn baby. It's just, it's just the ruthlessness of what you are about like, mm. we get this game done let's, and, and at the highest possible quality. When you have an internal team, like you lose a guy for three days or woman, whatever, lose a developer for three days, you got to worry about, okay, how do we juggle? But then you're also like, okay, is this person okay? Right? My team is one person. Now, of course, it's a lot more than one person, but you care about people on an individual level. Then on the publishing side, your job is just very different and you got to think about things that are the larger picture. So that was the biggest thing that I learned on Forza. And I felt bad after the first year of working and, and really understanding game development down to the nuts and bolts, as opposed to the kind of bringing a product, you know, product to market kind of standpoint. I even told the bizarre guys this. I'm like, because we kept in touch and I loved them and actually even helped them ship for uh, PGR two while I was shipping Forza, working on Forza. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I'd actually shipped an internal game before I worked with you guys. I would not have asked so many dumb questions. Right? <laughs> Some of the questions were smart. A lot of the questions were dumb and they're just looking at each other like, of course we're going to do that. Why would we not do that? Why would you even ask that? I'm like, okay, sounds good. You know, I'm just running off to do all my stuff to make sure that we're getting the market. So anyway, digress, boring, boring game to us. But, but fun, fun, all fun experiences, very, very stressful at times. And, but met a lot of good people and worked a lot of great people. And I am, I am nothing without the people that I have worked with. I have learned so much from them. And that's, you know, your, your kind of intro thing is like, oh, Garrett's had the opportunity to work on all these big franchises. I've only had that opportunity because I've worked with great people and we've all been really passionate about and excited and worked very hard towards the goals that we had as a team. Um, and you know, that's, what's kind of led, led me to, to be lucky and be successful in those, in those projects, whether it's this, whether it's the games at Microsoft, whether it's, you know, Activision, Disney, et cetera. So, so do you have any, I suppose, contingency plans in place? So if somebody does have to go on leave for whatever reason, that there's enough diversity in terms of the skill set so someone can take over for that person so it's it doesn't disturb the production pipeline as much um it always disturbs the pipeline but yes i wouldn't be a very good manager if we didn't have kind of plan a plan b plan c yeah it, it's but, not there's not an infinite pool of talent to call on if, if well, you no, no. lose somebody um but there's there's we have those contingency plans whether it's related to people whether it's related to features, whether it's related to content, whether it's, um, you know, hey, this feature didn't work out. Okay, well, hmm, how can we pivot over to something to make this this thing fun? Because the first pass wasn't fun. The second pass wasn't fun. The third pass wasn't fun. One of the things I learned at Bazaar, learned from the Bazaar guys, and was really reinforced at id, is a, a, is a saying I saw from someone, I'm not the originator of this, uh, but I don't know who was, but, I'll, but I'll, what I'll say, I'll bring it and I'll share it is that a prototype is worth a thousand meetings. It's like a, it's like a picture's worth a thousand words. In this case, a prototype is worth a thousand meetings. And back when I, you know, before working with Bazaar, I was always about specs and like, we got to plan everything out waterfall style, plan the entire thing out. But actually seeing, touching, feeling something in a build, building a prototype goes much, much further to seeing if something's fun. So to your, to your question about contingency plans, we've got it for people. We've got it for um, if certain things don't work out, go back to the drawing board. If we don't hit dates, or the date always comes as long as the planet keeps rotating and the, you know, <laughs> we, we're, the date's going to come no matter what. It's just always a question of what are we able to deliver when on that date? And are we going to deliver on our commitments? Or are we going to, um, it's a, it's a, um, it's a creative endeavor <laughs> what we do, right? Yeah, yeah. And not everything goes exactly according to plan uh, in any, on any game project, anybody, any of these game developers you talk to, they will tell of you course. the same thing. Like yeah. nothing goes yeah. exactly according to plan. And so, you always 
whether it's whether it's said and and written your backup plan or it's kind of back of your mind or or your back pocket this is how we're going to get this done if this constraint presents itself or this or this plan doesn't go according to exactly our plan but as you've moved in your career have you found any ways to try and mitigate crunch occurring or is it just one of those things that's just it doesn't matter what you do it's just unavoidable because i think this is the probably the common pattern i think with all devs they do crunch and sometimes it's more severe than others um, yeah so so um crunch is definitely an issue in our industry and i think it's probably any any creative industry hmm. um whether you're writing a book although it tend to be kind of one one writer on a book but i would bet writers crunch um whether it's certain deadlines or if they got to make certain dates um, or, or making a movie or, or TV show or anything. Um, it is an issue in our industry. We have very passionate people who care about the game and care about their teammates. Also care about showing off cool stuff to their teammates. Like kind of, we, we raise each other's bar. I mean, I even, I, and I've seen this in every single team I've ever worked on. I remember the, my first couple of years at Microsoft, right out of college. Um, I was constantly worried that, Ed Freeze is going to come in and fire every day because there's so many good people around. And every time I get like, okay, my results are about as good as that person's results over there. I look over here and go, oh crap, now I'm way behind, right? Yeah, yeah. And Ed never do that. And that never actually happened. But that fear of like, oh shit, I got to get shit done, right? And so you put in this 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 personal feeling. You, you, you have this um, kind of the phrase that's in my head now in the startup world is this, um, how can we get everybody on board the team feeling like an owner? Right, feeling like that they 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 own a part of this, are part of our success, and it's something that I would say it id all the time, especially when we were turning around morale on the team. Morale was not good when I joined there, right? Mm. Um, and and we as a team, not just me, but we as a leadership team, had a large challenge of turn that around. And here's the future, and and we want everybody to believe in this future. And a lot of people on the team were like, "Yeah, well, last year you told me the future was there, and then the year before you told me the future is there. Why the hell should I listen to you now?" Right. So you always have this challenge of of um, of of working on and improving people's morale. Um, but crunch is an issue in our industry, and um, we've never I've never been on a team that required crunch. Um, we take many approaches to try to avoid crunch. Um, I think as as my times in my career where I where I have felt burnt out, and I'm a different person than everybody else. Everybody's got different approaches. I, certainly, I'm not the cookie cutter. Everybody works differently. Everybody has different priorities. Everybody's at a different phase of their life. Everybody's got a, a different phase of of um, you know how they work or how they want to work. We had a we had a stud. Our one of our stud senior devs, uh, senior engineers at um, our lead tools guy, but Id was a guy that liked showing up at seven seven a.m. liked showing up. Hmm. And get that office was quiet for two and a half hours, three hours, right? He got a crap done done, but come five o'clock, he's out, right? Even like we got dinners coming in and everybody's crunching. Everybody's working a lot of hours because we we're, you know, how are we going to show it quick on or we're going to, whatever this is, it's another big milestone. We got to hand off the certification or we're, we're doing our multiplayer technical demo, which is a whole nother story, but we were doing all these things. And he was a guy like, I'm here at seven, I'm out at five. He got his stuff done, right? And so everybody respected that, right? You don't want to be in a situation where you're managing seat time. That's that's or and and like for, for performance reviews, that's always a challenge. And um, if if you come into a situation and you find that with 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 managers that you need to kind of adjust that, make sure. And you know, we want to measure results. We don't want to measure seat time. Right? We don't want to measure people just in their chairs. You know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that work. I found this myself, but I also found this with others um, that work tends to expand to fill the time. If you come into office one day and you say, you know what, I'm going to be here till 10 tonight, whether you're crunching or whether it's, you know, my, my family's out of town and I can work and I got some stuff, I put my headphones on and whatever, whatever your, your choice in your life. Um, in my experience, your mileage may vary, man, if you think you're going to be at work for 12 hours, you're definitely going to, whatever work you have done, it's going to, you know, you plan for the day, you're going to expand it to 12 hours, right? But if you think ah, five o'clock, I got to get out. Six o'clock, I got to get out. I got I got to go get food, pick up food for my kids, and I got to go coach my other kids' um, basketball game, and then and then I got to get them home and get them time to do their homework. Blah blah blah. What are things things outside of work? I and I've seen others make sure they get their work done in this amount of time. And again, it doesn't mean you take shortcuts. It just means the twenty minute, fifteen minute conversation, whatever minute conversation around the around the cooler. Hey, what did you play this last weekend? Hey, what do you got going on this? Those 15 minute conversations are like two minutes. Like, oh, that's cool. You're awesome. Oh, cool. Have a good weekend. I got to go. You know, I got to get back to work and actually get stuff done. Right. So you tend to be a little bit more efficient. The other thing that I noticed 
that I would be frustrated with, but you just, it is what it is. You just learn is like, like Darren, this guy that would show up at 7am every day and get a ton of stuff done. When I would do that, I couldn't always do that just based on whatever life stuff. Um, and because it's early, um, you get in early, <laughs> like the conversation, there's still people that come up. Your, your, your job is still interrupt driven, right? This is back when we were in offices, which I love working hand in hand with people. Uh, haven't been able to do that since, you know, pandemic. And then we're kind of, uh, me and my friends are, are working on something that we're doing remote right now. But anyway, um, the conversations you have at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. are 30 seconds long. Hey, where's this thing? I didn't know this. Where would I find this thing? Or this thing is blocking me. Or can you help me out with this care? No problem. Boom, 30 seconds done. That same conversation at 6.30 p.m. is, hey, what's up, Garrett? Hey, oh, <laughs> man, did you see this thing in the build? Oh, that's really cool. Oh, what about this other thing? Yeah, so, hey, I was just thinking I'm kind of blocked. And it's 20 minutes. And it's just a different tempo. It's a different pace. And I'm not saying that people, like, waste their time at night. But it, there's just people have a different energy level. And if they know they're going to be there until 10, they tend to, I don't know, you don't leave until the clock hits as opposed to folks aren't getting work done. So, but it, that's, that's, I could do a, like a TED talk, not that the TED people would care about it, but like a, some sort of presentation that's like, look, this is crunch. This is a problem in our industry. We get it. Everyone gets it, right? Everyone, everyone knows um, that it is. Here are things that we've done to solve it with the understanding that there's no silver bullet. And even if you do all these things, um, there are still unforeseen uh, pressures that come up, date pressures. Crunch, you're talking about a date pressure, right? There are unforeseen date pressures that come up. And it just is what it is. It's just it's just the reality. It's just being honest about, about just our industry and kind of how we do how we do work. There are many things, as I said, again, this is not a TED talk, but, but I, didn't, I didn't, pre didn't prepare anything, but but there are things that you can do to um, to avoid it as best possible. And the big thing to me is, uh, last point I'll make about this, because again, I could just keep talking, um, is, is that when we do find those crunch times that we do our best to avoid burning people out. And there are many ways to do that. There's, there's compensating them for crunch, I'm not always, uh, now, thankfully I'm in a position where I can do that. Not always, I've not always been in that kind of position. Most of our employees are salaried and I can't just say to the finance team, Hey, we need to increase these guys' salaries by this amount or by this number of hours, do the math. They're like, no, that's not how, you know, salaried employees work. So, so we can't always kind of hour for hour pay them. We do have some hourly, uh, um, all, every team has our, some hourly employees. And so th thankfully we can compensate them. Um, we, we do, um, comp time, you know, Hey, this guy's been burning. This guy came in or this person, this team, this group of, uh, of, of developers came in over the weekend. You know what? We're not even going to look for them on Monday and Tuesday. Right. And so it's a little bit of a, a, you know, say we had a deadline Monday morning or Sunday night or whatever. Right. Yeah. So there's things that you can do to help manage that, manage the, 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 the family stress, the, the, just the physical stress of, of working that many hours. Nice thing about, about giving comp time versus giving actually cash comp is, you know, they're not going to be taxed on that that comp time. We just say, don't come into the office for two days. Um, then that's better. But that's more of a rejuvenation time. It's not like they can plan. This is the bad thing, right? You can't say, hey, hey, honey, uh, I'm going to have a four-day weekend in six weeks from now. So let's plan to go somewhere. Well, you can't do that if you have an unknown kind of crunch that comes up and you're giving somebody comp time. So that's, that's a side effect. That's, again, as I said, there's no silver bullet, right? You try these different things. The other thing, uh, two small things, is I don't want things to be a surprise. Like the deadlines, first of all, don't have fake dates. Like junior producers will say, well, I've even had some of my friends in the marketing team go, oh, well, we're paying for the game. This is many years ago. We're paying for the game. Why can't you just tell them that this has to be done? Well, that's not how people work, right? It's done by this date or this specific thing needs to be done or this content needs to be done or whatever, right? And so we got we to gotta understand. And, and, and uh, junior producers tend to do this also of, let's tell the team the date is October 1st, but we know the deadline's actually October 15th. And since there's, they often miss their dates. We'll give ourselves our buffer. That's not a path to success because once somebody finds out and they crunch and the team crunches towards October 1st and you go, oh, it's okay. You know what? I got us an extra two weeks. They all will shoot you, right? Because they mm -hmm. all work their bollocks off, as my English friends would say, their butt off to for that October 1st date. And then, and then it's like you pull the rug out from under them. Thanks for all that hard work. Now spend another two weeks doing it, you know, the same level of hard work to actually get stuff done because we've got an extra two weeks. You can't have fake dates. That's a path of failure. Um, and also, you know, as much as as much as everyone can own their man, I, 
we could talk about this forever. I better just yeah. stop talking. <laughs> Agile development is a good thing in the games industry and um, people owning their work and choosing the work that they pick up yeah, to do yeah. is another way that we give people that sense of ownership in their stuff so that they choose. When someone tells you, Reese, you got to work till 10 o'clock tonight and you're on like a nine to five schedule, whatever. Reese, you got to work till 10 o'clock tonight. You go, oh shit, now I got to make a bunch, change my plans. I guess I can't go to my nephew's birthday. I, I was going to meet a friend for a beer. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the vibe. That's the this is human. This is just human nature. But if I'm working on something or you're working on something and you're like, okay, four o'clock, five o'clock comes, normally I'd leave or my train's leaving. I can get the later later train or whatever your work like scenario is. And you're like, shit, I want to get this done. You know, I want to spend some more time on this. And then you're like, Garrett, hey, uh, do you mind ordering me a pizza or a burger or something? Okay, yeah, cool, thank you. And then you're like, headphones back on. If you're choosing to work those hours, that is a night and day different thing than someone telling you, you know, work till 10 every night. Yeah, it's yeah. Just a sure. day anyway, but again, there's no servile bullet. It's a problem that we have in the industry. Um, it's just a, we, we, we try to, we try to solve it many ways. And sometimes we're better than others at solving it. Yeah. But this well, team I, worked incredibly. It's worked. This team worked incredibly hard on that game. And actually all this game's a James Bond game. We got no, Ah, no credit for doing that game, but this team also worked insanely hard. What's a team? That's a Ferrari 360 Spider right there. PGR team. Yeah, every team I worked on. They, not that they all crunched, but they all were incredibly passionate about what they were doing and really cared and uh, and all worked very hard. I've been lucky to be able to work with a lot of great people. Yeah. Well, it's a good way to wrap up because I know you got to get going. you got to get into another meeting. Uh, before you go, uh, is there any place that people can follow you and keep up to date with what you're doing? I know you don't post much. Uh, yeah, I don't post a whole lot. We will, um, we will Man announce behind the curtain. Part. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're not, kind of. Um, I like doing this stuff. I like sharing stories. Certainly, I love hearing your interest and in, and in, uh, some of these games. That a lot of people are interested in. Some sometimes I like hearing behind the scenes stories. I'd but, really uh, like to do uh, this for longer because I think, with the type of person <laughs> you are, we'd probably need a longer time frame. Um, Twenty five years it, or so. Yeah, well, yeah, there's but, so much stuff we haven't even covered. So. Well, we can, what well, we can, uh, if you want, you know, we can chat later, text me. And uh, um, once we've announced uh, this, uh, you know, this new, new company, new studio that we're working on, me and uh, a bunch of friends in the new game, um, then, you know, maybe we, maybe we circle back around and, and chat and we can talk about that. And we can also talk about other stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, that might be, that might be a good thing. Oh yeah. I'm Goretti on Twitter or X or whatever they call it now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I, I don't post a whole lot there. It's kind of primarily like dad stuff. Um, but um uh, we will announce the name of the of the of the studio pretty soon, and then we'll start building community and Discord channels and everything like that. But we cool. haven't announced the name quite yet. So, all, all right, wish us cool. luck. <laughs> yeah, all the best, all the best. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. All right. Well, there's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay safe. See you later. Good job. Thanks, Reese. <laughs>